Who is this man? This is the theme of this year. We want to study about Jesus. There have been so many things that have been divisive. What could unite us? Anything more than Jesus, that we can focus on him, think about what he's like, what he said, what he taught, how can we get his message into our heart, how can we serve like he served to the world around us. So today is another step in that lesson. We're studying through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 8 today. We'll be looking at verse 18 through verse 27. There's two sections here. We'll take one at a time. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Here's just a glimpse into how things were happening. When there were great crowds gathering, he was gaining attention. Attention by his teachings. People were interested because he was saying things nobody else had said before. His presence was unique. There was certainly an aura about him being the son of God, even though people weren't quite clued into that yet. He was performing miracles, and those were stunning, and it was attracting people. So there's a great crowd, and there's a point in time when you kind of got to get out of the crowd. Jesus was that way too. He had to get away from the press of the people in order to get replenished even, to have his own spirit restored. <clears throat> this is a moment where he's saying, let's, let's move on. Going to the other side is meaning to the other side of the lake. He's on one side of it. They're going to get in a boat and move on to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. A scribe is a religious leader of the day. It's a professional job, probably paid well, and it's a responsible position to have. And he's learning more now, even in his religious posture, about Jesus and wanting to be around him. He says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is saying here, he doesn't have a house that he's building on this earth, that he's gonna be traveling and he's gonna be going from place to place He's wanting this scribe, this religious leader, to know what he's signing up for. This isn't going to be easy. It might not be what you're thinking it's going to be. On the heels of that, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. That's a curious statement. If you're reading through the Bible, sometimes there's moments like this. It's like, what in the world is he talking about? What does that mean? How insensitive could that be? Somebody is saying they need, they need to go bury their father, and Jesus is saying, hey, don't worry about it. Let someone else take care of that. In fact, let the dead bury the dead? What? How can a dead person bury a dead person? What we do when we find these sayings of Jesus that don't make sense in just a swift reading through it is dive into the culture, dive into the context. The people Jesus was talking to actually understood more than we would because they're living in a culture that these are norms that they had context for. So we'll try to break this down a little bit. Jesus makes it clear it is not easy to follow him. 
One person is told he may have to live somewhat of a homeless existence. Many who considered following Jesus expected that he would soon set up his kingdom on this earth. This scribe, this religious leader, thought, if this is perhaps the Messiah we've been looking for, this is going to be awesome. He's going to set up an incredible palace. He's going to be in control of everything going on. I'm following you. This was his mentality, and Jesus is trying to help him understand what he's signing up for. I'm not building that palace that you're thinking about. I don't have a place to lay my head. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. Me, I'm gonna go from place to place and we'll figure it out as we go. This was unsettling to a scribe, thinking that this wasn't maybe the person that he thought. We're still dealing with this power syndrome today. The scribe was looking at this Messiah character possibly as power, like he's going to line up and be in power. We still, we're in our humanity put together the same. Things haven't changed all that much in all these millennium. We're still humans. We would love to be in power. We'd love to be in control. Christians want to rule the world instead of serve the world. That's actually a profound statement. Let me say it again. Christians want to rule the world instead of serve the world. And Jesus is trying to help us realize what we're here for is to serve. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many, whoever would follow him. Now, since we're wanting to learn about who is this man, what's he like, he's telling us. The greatest among you, who's going to be the greatest among you? It's the one who serves the most, who lowers himself the most, the one who cares about others the most. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Then become the least of these. This isn't our mentality. We still have today a Western view of what being a Christian is all about. We would love to be in control. We would love to be in power. We would want more control than we want servanthood. Other parts of the world don't have the same view of Christianity that we do. The people who are following Jesus in India have a much different view. They're walking through hardships, understanding the faithfulness of God in the middle of horrific moments. Right now, the COVID experience in India is shockingly horrific. And we're blessed here in America to have opportunity to mitigate through this COVID experience, and we're coming out of it. We're gaining ground. I love seeing every day, it seems, better numbers that are coming, and we're seeing progress made. We're looking at a day in just a couple of weeks where California is supposed to be done with these restrictive seasons, and it all sounds so good to me. There's some other places that don't even, it's not a blip on their radar about any rules. They're trying to survive. Being a Christian in China, very different than being one in America. Yet the gospel works for all of us because Jesus is the center of it all. And when we come to him, he'll show us what to do and how to think. When someone in Jesus' day said they wanted to go bury their father, it didn't necessarily mean that he was already dead. 
Their custom was when someone died, they didn't have embalming services like we do and such. When someone died, they would actually bury them the day of their death. Example being Jesus. When Jesus was crucified and he died on the cross, they took him down from the cross, took him to Joseph Arimathea's tomb and buried him there that day. It was typical, that was the custom. When this man says, I can't follow you right now, I need to bury my father, another part of their custom was that father might not be dead yet, and the eldest of the family was responsible for taking care of the parents. They had a very much honor, honor system. And it could be that he was just waiting. He was going to wait for a year, two, or three. Because when that happens, he needs to be there to make that possible. So when he says, hey, I need to hang around here to bury my father, Jesus knows he could be talking about a year, two years, three years when you could follow me right now, this was the custom, this is how we have the ability to understand what he's saying. He's not being insensitive, that wouldn't be the nature of Jesus, to not care. He cares about every detail of our life and the things that concern us concern him. This was a different moment, a different custom that they were walking through. Jesus' answer makes clear that his request involved putting the disciples' own desires ahead of serving Jesus. He wanted to stick around for his inheritance. He wasn't sure that this was what he wanted to do right now, and he was more concerned for himself than for what Jesus had for him to do. Let the dead bury the dead? How do you figure that out? Well, it's in this sense. They understood that there were some things that they were dead to. When I was growing up, one of the food items that I didn't like at all was peas. Like, it was the texture of them. They were mushy. They just didn't taste right. It's like, one time I was staying with my grandparents, and my grandfather was an old-school, hard-nosed guy. You're not going to get up from the table till you've eaten everything on your plate. And what was left on my plate was the peas that I didn't put there. My grandma put them there, and my grandpa was like, you're not getting up until you eat your peas, and I had a bite, and I like started to gag. And it was cruel, and I'm crying. I'm just a little kid. My grandpa was cruel, that day at least. And I kept trying until I actually had to run from the table and actually vomited in the restroom because literally, I don't know if it was psychological, I'm not sure, but to this day, I will not eat peas. I am dead to peas. That's what being dead to something is all about. There is no way I'm touching those things at all, ever, not ever. Sometimes we're dead to things. Some people were dead to faith, weren't believers. So what Jesus is indicating here is let the dead, the people that are spiritually dead, that don't have a desire to follow me, let those who are dead to me bury those who become physically dead. That's the context for what he is saying. So it's a very powerful and profound interaction that he has. One, trying to help the scribe, the religious guy who was looking for power, understand that's not what he was going to receive in the natural. 
he would receive power that's eternal and supernatural if he would follow Jesus, he would discover that, but he wasn't gonna receive the temporal power of having a palace and following the guy that's gonna rule the planet in the natural sense right now. And then some people were like, not really into Jesus. That's what he's explaining to us so that we will understand what it means to follow him. And then the next passage, Verse 23, and when he got into the boat, so he's like, we need to get to the other side. The scribe's like, well, I'm gonna follow you, and Jesus explains how it's not what he thinks. Well, I can't go right now, I gotta bury my father. Jesus explains what that looks like. Then they get in the boat. His disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? What an incredible moment in time. I've been on the Sea of Galilee a few times. It's a placid lake most of the time. But if a storm comes in and the winds begin to whip up, it can get real choppy and it can become dangerous. It happens. There was just this week, Kathy and I were at a missions event for World Service, an incredible organization we just learned more, got connected to. And we were at this event in the Ozarks in Missouri, and it's on a lake, an amazing lake there. And it was the same lake where a storm had risen with some people that were out on these pleasure boats, and one of those boats sank and some people actually lost their lives. It, we're looking at it, it's just a calm lake. But even a lake can become like an ocean with the right kind of circumstances. And this is what occurred here on the Sea of Galilee, this lake called Galilee, and the disciples were afraid for their lives. While Jesus is sleeping in the bow of the boat, he is unconcerned. Here's the two words that define Jesus from this story today, peace and power. Jesus has perfect peace because he has complete power. When you have all power and you know there's no, no harm gonna come to you, you can be at peace. When there's a storm raging and you know it's gonna be okay because you can just speak to the wind and the waves and they quiet down, like, might as well sleep. It's gonna work out. Peace and power go together. Jesus is that person who is at perfect peace because he has complete power. Here's something that caught my attention. When the disciples woke him, verse 25, and they went and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. That word woke somehow just caught my attention. It's probably because I'm hearing it a lot in our current world that we're in. I never used to hear that word. It, it didn't have the meaning that it has now. People have given it a new meaning. And there are those who are saying, if you're concerned for the racial issues of the day, that's a woke person and they mean it very derogatorily like move on 
when people are concerned for the disenfranchised and they express those concerns, there are people on one end of the spectrum saying it once again, there's those woke people. I've heard people talking about that there's woke pastors. I've been called one. I have a book coming out June the 1st. On June the 6th, just two weeks from today, we have 2,000 copies. You receive one when you come to church that day. It's a gift to put in your hands because we want to catch the heart of Jesus, Jesus among the broken. He's incarnate. He comes among us and he cares about us. And we want to learn that as we have been all along, dive deeper into it. We're going to talk about that through the month of June. Because of the message of this passion for hurting people, there have been some that have put that label on me. And when I read this this week, I thought, well, I'm in good company. Jesus was woke. They woke him. And when they did, he realized that they were in trouble. And he cared about them. And in his woke nature, he spoke to the winds and the waves and said, let's bring this to peace. These people are going to be okay. When you're woke, it means that you care about the storm that's going on around you. To be woke is a good thing. To be woke is to know, hey, there's some trouble brewing. Wake up. What's the alternative? To be unwoke is to be dead to the problems of the people around you. You want to be dead? Well, let the dead go bury their dead then. But if you want to be woke, then you care. Then you carry the spirit of Jesus and you carry the mission of Jesus. Then you have within you something that has a desire to serve, to know that we're not here to set up power. We are here to serve and to give ourselves away to make sure that people can come to know Jesus. At this event we were at, World Serve, we learned that they're drilling water wells in Tanzania, in Kenya, in places where they go for miles to carry water, dirty water. People are dying because they don't have clean water. Water is life. And when they dig and drill a water well four to 600 feet deep, they find fresh water and it just keeps flowing and flowing. It changes the world around them. Those people are woke to the needs of people that are broken. And if we don't care, we stay dead to the needs of people that are dying. We need to wake up. I'm going to wear that word woke as a badge of honor. You can call me woke anytime you want to. I'll say, thank you, Jesus. I must be looking more like you. Because Jesus is woke to the burdens of the world around us. When you're woke to the plight of the disenfranchised, when you're woke to the people that are being abused and misused, speak, spoken ill of, when you're woke to people that don't have clean water, I learned that World Service helping the Navajo Nation in Arizona and Utah, the Navajo Nation, I didn't even know this, I started learning more in some of these places of Indian reservations. The Navajo Nation doesn't even have running water in some of their spaces. World Serve is going right here in America. I didn't know any place in America didn't have running water anymore. They're drilling wells for the Navajo Nation because somehow people are dead to their need. They don't care. They're not woke to the fact that there's some people that need some help that have been ripped off from the beginning of this country that have been abused and misused and placed in an environment that continues to abuse and misuse. I'm woke to the plight of the Navajo Nation today and I wasn't a week ago and I wanna be. Wake me up, Lord. 
wake me up. So when you start hearing people call people woke, say, hey, that's me too. Thank God, I'm like Jesus, who's woke to the needs of the people around us that have hurts and burdens so that we can minister life to those needs. While we're here, we have people who are serving food. Our men's group is going beyond our driveway, taking groceries to the homeless in tents right along Folsom Boulevard. They're doing it right now as we speak. Why? Because they're woke to the needs of those people and they're not gonna walk by them and say they don't matter. They need to figure out what to do. No, we are woke to the needs of hurting people and that's what Jesus does when they woke him. He said, all right, I'll take care of that. Winds and waves, be still. These people, they can live. I'll help them. I got that off my chest. I'll be honest, I actually didn't see that coming. Not till I read this. It just happens that this is what we're studying today. And there it is, the word woke. Touched me. Who is he? He is peace. Verse 26, then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Wow. Jesus, he is peace. He speaks, and there's a great calm. What kind of storms do you have going on in your life today? There's a lot. It's not just nature. It could be financial storms. Man, if we don't have the finances to take care of needs, there's a burden that's heavy. That's a storm. Jesus wants to help us there. There could be a relational storm when things are broken in the family life. That just doesn't go away. It sits on you all day long. That's a heavy storm. Jesus wants to speak peace to that storm. He can. He can heal broken hearts and broken relationships. There's miracles that he can do. When we have health challenges, it's a storm like no other in the middle of that storm, Jesus can speak peace and give calm in the middle of what we're walking through. A pandemic, nobody could see that coming. It's a storm, it just rose up like boom. Overnight, there it is. We've been dealing with a storm, we're still dealing with it. Finding our way through. What does Jesus do? He comes and speaks to us peace in the middle of it. Now what I have in my sense, even reading this passage about what Jesus does, he's speaking peace to this pandemic storm that we're in the middle of, and I have a sense that we're gonna come through it to calm on the other side and to see glory of God descend upon us. When Jesus is the center of it all, we're gonna see the end of this be far greater than the beginning. We have yet to see the glory that God's going to reveal when we keep pressing into him and trusting him. We're going to come through this and not be diminished. We're going to be sent forward into greater places of blessing and honor by God's grace because that's what he does. That's who he is. He's going to bring peace. Psalm 107, verse 29, he stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. That's what he's doing for us. Even the winds and waves obey him. Psalm 46, verse one, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, 
Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the, its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Jesus is with us. He will not fail us. I am thankful for his faithfulness. It sustains us even in the storm. He's going to be there to see us through to the other side. That river is the Holy Spirit within us. This is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost, Pente is 50. It's simply 50 days post-Easter. On that Pentecost celebration, Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on the early church 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And they received power and they went out to share his love with the world around them. It was a watershed moment. Today we are asking for the Holy Spirit's power of Pentecost to be our source as well. He is with us. He will sustain us. He will give us power for where we're going. He is powerful. Peace and power. Why can we have peace? Because we serve the one who has all power. Nothing to fear when you're with the one who can calm the sea, calm the wind, speak life to the broken dreams of our lives. When he has all power, then peace flows. Peace and power, it's who he is. Psalm 511, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Rest, peace, in the shadow of power, the Almighty. Peace, power. You will rest in the presence of the all-powerful one. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he's my God, I trust in him. I'm safe now because he's with me in my boat and he's not ever gonna leave me nor forsake me. Jesus is in your boat. Have you ever felt like you were in a sinking ship? Not sure if you're gonna survive. We've had those moments, there's stuff that happens, it's rough. The winds are howling, the waves are crashing. You feel like you're going down but when Jesus is with you, you won't. No matter what happens, he sees us through. Even death is not a defeat when we have Jesus in our boat. He's going to give us everlasting life. He's gonna give us a new body. He is gonna give us a palace. It's just not on this earth. He's gonna give us a heavenly home that we're gonna be with him forever. All of that is real, all of that is coming. He is the God of peace and he's the God of power and he is my God. And he is your God. We're in the right place at the right time. We're going to come through this. It's time to not get discouraged any longer. It's time to not complain anymore. It's time to not get into arguments about this thing and that thing. It's time for us to trust in Jesus and say, what do you want me to do to serve the broken people around me? I want to be you, Jesus, your hand extended, your heart expressed. I want to be awakened to the needs of what you can do through me by your grace to change the world that we live in. Our opportunity is greater than it's ever been. 
As followers of Jesus, we believe he's always in the boat with us. I think he was asking, why did, why did you wake me up? Did you really think you would drown with me in the boat? With me in the boat? He's in the boat. Jesus is in our lives. He's not going to let you down. He's with you. Peace and power is our portion. Soon after we had moved to Omaha, our kids were small. We were living in the Midwest where there were storms. Never seen storms like this before, tornado warnings. In fact, the church that we went there to pastor, this was the early 90s, had been hit by a tornado a few years before. They had to rebuild it, tore the roof off. I learned firsthand that it's real. And the sirens went off one day, soon after we were there. And I went to the door to see, because it's spectacular. The clouds get so dark, it gets quiet, like really calm for a moment. Right before these howling winds are going to lift your house off its foundation. It's amazing. And I just wanted to watch. Kathy's like, get down here. We had a basement. Get down here. I'm like, no, you got to see this. I was young and foolish. Travis was about six years old at the time, our youngest. And I remember him saying to me, he was starting to cry. He didn't like this storm thing. He didn't like those sirens going off. It's the first storm we've been in. He's like, why did we have to move here anyway? And my response was, well, Trav, God wanted us to come here to pastor this church. And his response was, couldn't God have found someone else to pastor this church? And it was a brilliant response that made me laugh. Like, well, I don't know, probably, but let's go in the basement. We, we survived. We're still here. When you're in a storm, but Jesus is with you, you're going to get through it. He's going to see you through it, and the storm might be quite remarkable, but Jesus is more remarkable than the storm. Be at peace, because the powerful one is with you. He's in your boat, and he's going to see you through. Last scripture, we'll pray. Philippians 4, verse 6, Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father God, we thank you for that peace, and we pray that peace over this house today and over our hearts and our lives. No matter the storm, whatever the source, we know that you're there with us in the boat. Calm that storm, speak to it, that we come out the other side unscathed, we ask, Lord, for your supernatural grace and your supernatural power to be with us every step of the way. If you need him to forgive you, just receive that right now. Pray this prayer. Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, paying for my sins. I accept that gift of eternal life. Forgive me. Come into my heart. I want to follow you from this day all the way to eternity. Thank you for loving me the way you do. I'm here to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen.